Well, good evening and welcome, my listeners, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now. Speaking for those with no voice, speaking truth to power, sharing the news of the cognitive minority as we begin to manifest a new normal for the quality of life for the 99%. Well, I think that's you and me. Well, uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Abigail Spinner McBride uh, to open the show for uh, allowing us to use her wonderful music. Uh, tonight's uh, that little cut that you got a taste of is Let the Way Be Open. Appropriate, I think, because tonight we're talking about opening to other realms because we're going to chat about the wonders of despacho spells. Our conversation is with Gianna uh, Ciccelli, a shaman witch, and if you haven't heard of Despacho Spells, you won't want to miss the show tonight. I learned about Despacho uh, not that long ago when a dear friend of the show, Lydia Rule, when her goddess banners went missing, and then again when the Sekhmet statue from the Cactus Springs Sekhmet Temple, when that statue went missing. Both times Despacho rituals were employed, and both times there were positive outcomes to the petitioners. Uh, Lydia's banners were found, and the disposition of the missing Sekhmet statue came to light. Well, that was a two-for-two record, and I thought that was pretty impressive. So we have Gianna Ciccelli on the show with us, expert in despacho, whether you call your work prayer or petition or spells. But first, um, just a few announcements before we begin our chat. Uh, If you're in the Lake Elsinore area on Sunday, February 8th, uh, I'll be coming up there to visit. Sponsored by Deja Vu Oracles, I'm coming to Wildemore for Goddess Day at the Grove. And uh, I think we're going to be having some fun. Uh, They've been invited me up there to um, talk about what it's been like for me as a priestess, a writer, radio show host, uh, talk about some things that I think are relevant um, about uh, the sacred feminine for a sustainable future. Uh, They're going to do a ritual. Then we're going to do some readings with uh, Lady Brenda McCoy. Um, Fun day, I think. So if you want to know more, uh, please go to my Facebook page or email me. Uh, Not hard to find me. Then uh, mark uh, some of these dates in March. Uh, March 14th is the first uh, thing you might uh, want to mark the calendar and save the date. Uh, Two things happen that day. Uh, In the beginning, uh, earlier in the day, we have a sistrum-making class. A sistrum is uh, the sacred ritual tool used by uh, the Egyptian priestesses of uh, the goddesses Isis, Hathor, and Bast. Ancient priestesses believe they embodied goddess when they used these uh, sistra. Uh, Let me know uh, if you want more information. Uh, That's actually going to be a workshop making wood and metal uh, sistra. Uh, also, that same day, uh, I am now sponsoring Joseph Campbell Roundtables, uh, mostly in Venice uh, and also in Irvine. And uh, on March 14th, uh, we are also going to be doing um, that talk at the Venice Library. Our first guest is Dr. James Reedfeld talking about Artemis of the Ephesians. And remember, Artemis, uh, her temple there in Ephesus, that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And uh, new archaeology that keeps coming to light suggests that Artemis was even more popular than Isis. 
Uh, James is an expert on Artemis. Uh, he's also the co-leader of our sacred tour to Turkey in May. And if you really want to delve deeper into what it was like uh, in the cult of Artemis, uh, her mystery, her magic, the sacred landscape of that area there, uh, you don't want to miss uh, that talk. Then um, we're going to also have a ritual uh, related to that talk, but that's later in the uh, month of March, on March 28th. Uh, if you're interested in ancient cultures, Artemis, Isis, Cabelli, Mary, Magna Mater, Hecate, then you're going to want to know about uh, Dr. Riedfeld's book launch party and Artemis ritual uh, that's being held at the Goddess Temple down in Irvine. Again, that is March 28th at the Goddess Temple of Orange County. And uh, you can find out more from me uh, or you can go to their website. As just speaking about the Goddess Temple just a bit, um, I wonder if you've thought about becoming a member. You know, uh, you'd have the distinct privilege of belonging to one of the only brick-and-mortar goddess temples on Mother Earth. And you can become a member of the temple, helping them do their work, with just a, a small monthly donation of $25. And it might even be tax-deductible for you. If you want to know more about that, you can go to their temple website, uh, Goddess Temple of OC.com. Every Friday, they have a Venus Hour where they do libations and snacks and movies, uh, great networking, and you can meet new friends of like mind, and that's uh, women and men. Uh, fourth Sundays, or for families now, you can bring well-behaved children. Uh, it's not just for women anymore at the Goddess Temple. And uh, pretty soon, they are going to be a museum. They are in the process of becoming not just a temple, but a cultural center and museum. Uh, it's in the process of becoming official. And that will no doubt bring new activities and people to the temple. So, you know, you might want to be a part of it. Don't miss it. And, um, yeah, I think that uh, you might want to check it out. That's no small deal. And, you know, in the sanctuary, uh, if you haven't heard this before, they have a larger-than-life-size statue of the Egyptian lion-headed goddess Sekhmet uh, that's elevated on a four-foot-tall pyramid pedestal um, throne-like thing. So uh, it's it's really, really, really pretty impressive. And uh, for my final announcement, um, you might recall uh, I briefly talked about the Goddess Conference that's uh, coming to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, well, it is back on the calendar. That's going to happen in either June or July. So keep your ears open if uh, that's something you might uh, want to know more about. Okay, well, uh, now we can get to Gianna, and I want to thank her for her patience while I got all of that housekeeping out of the way. Let me introduce you to her by way of uh, her bio, and then we'll start our chat. Uh, Gianna is a psychic, a healer, an artist, and a professor of sociology. She's constantly looking to learn new modalities of spiritual practice and to weave them all into her mystical understanding of the universe. Gianna uh, has attended women's circles with goddess worshipers, met and worked with new with the new resurgence of spiritual practitioners, attended Native American sweat lodges, 
uh, Lakota and non-Lakota. She's traveled to both the Sacred Valley and the jungles of Peru to participate in healing ceremonies with the local shaman. And she feels blessed to be doing this work at this time. And I met uh, Gianna uh, when I took uh, one of uh, her classes at the Green Man store. I can't say enough good stuff about the Green Man store in North Hollywood and about Gianna because it was a wonderful class. Um, we, we just had a great time. So Gianna, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. I feel glad to be here. And thank you well, for... Uh saying how much you liked my workshop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a great workshop, and uh, I felt like it was really powerful and potent, and, um, you know, we got the energies of the universe flowing, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is uh, about these despacho rituals, but, you know, I, I mean, I've done other sorts of, uh, you know, rituals, prayers, petitions, whatever we want to call them, and, uh, you know, they don't always seem to have the same consistent effect that these despacho rituals have. And I wonder, has anyone else said that to you? Um, you know, not specifically, um, but I. everybody who does despacho or works despacho always has very positive um, responses to it. So I feel it's probably something that everybody is agreeing on. Uh, yes, so yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I had been doing this goddess stuff for probably the beginning of the 90s, and, you know, and I hadn't heard about despacho rituals until, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago when Lydia's banners went missing. And, you know, that's probably my fault. You know, maybe I'm living under a rock. But, um, you know, tell us more about what the despacho is, just in case my listeners out there haven't heard of these either. Right. Um, Well, um, it is... Interesting that you would say you hadn't heard of it, but at the same time, not necessarily surprising, uh, because despachos come specifically from the Peruvian shamanic cosmology, and even more specifically from the Caro people, who are a pre-Incan people of Peru. Um, So what the despacho is, is it's like a prayer bundle of food that you arrange very artistically and in communion with spirit, made out of foods and Uh, glitter and all kinds of uh, ingredients that you then use to arrange your world or to bring the energies into alignment uh, with yourself or with the people that you're doing the ritual with. Um, So it's sort of like, uh, it's magic, (laughs) but it's just like a different type of magic. I always kind of compare it to uh, Tibetan sand paintings because it's that same sort of attention that you put into it but at the same and you and you end up burying it or burning it at the end so you you work on it for like an hour or so and then you you feed it to the gods or you feed it to the earth pachamama um and and, and i'm glad you said about the mandala because you know that's the thing that struck me the most about and i know we're going to talk about the difference between peruvian cosmology and wiccan cosmology but we must have had when we did uh you know the class with you, uh, maybe, I don't know, I want to say maybe 20 at least, maybe 30 different ingredients to this 
uh, despacho, and they were arranged very specially, which makes me think of the mandala. And, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than like with a Wiccan thing where maybe you just, you know, throw it all into a cauldron and burn it, um, Mm -hmm. this was different because you really put different, didn't you even put different things in different quadrants and stuff like that? Yeah, um, yeah. There's it's there's a baseline to it where you have to it's you're arranging your universe on this piece of paper and you start out with the cross, which can be the, the four quadrants, but it also can be sort of the representative of Earth and it can be the representative of a crossroads. There's so many different possibilities um, for representation. Um, but if I remember correctly, we were um, we were cooking by recipe. <laughs> So I yeah there was 30 different ingredients and um it was all a recipe specifically for a type of despacho uh called the blooming despacho uh and it was to help you with your fulfillment to bloom into like blooming your reality into being um and all of all of the ingredients have a specific purpose um and but sometimes I found you can kind of get creative if you don't have the list of definitions right in front of you when you're making one of these things. Well, why don't you give some examples of what are some of the ingredients that would go in the despacho and why that would be chosen. Um, and, and for instance, you said they're food for the gods, but yet mm-hmm. we, we put stuff in the bundle that wasn't really food. I remember we, we put cotton, we put glitter. Um, right. So why would you put non-food in the despacho if this is food? Right. Um, Well, because they all have representation. So the cotton represents the clouds. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion that it also helps it burn. (laughs) 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 Uh, But so you would put the clouds on there to arrange the the layers of the universe. So you have the underworld, the middle world, and the upper world. Uh, And also with the confetti or the glitter, uh, you're bringing um, joy and celebration into your life, and uh, it's represented in the sort of like it's just sparkly and pretty. It, and it isn't food. You're you're completely correct. Um, but the spirits seem to like it anyway. <laughs> you have yeah. to put incense in there, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily uh, advise on eating incense. But the spirits really do like incense. They like tobacco, um, and this is sort of this goes along with a lot of different cosmologies. Um, they like alcohol, but of course that is something you would imbibe. Um, so it, you are creating sort of a feast um, with the food, and then also you're creating a reality with the metaphors. Okay, okay. And speaking of the alcohol, um, I mm-hmm. had never seen at, at a Wiccan ritual where they they did the four called the four corners the way you did. Um, each time you called one of the four corners, you also you know, kind of blew out uh, an offering of, I think it was alcohol, into that particular direction as well. Is that typical of the despacho? Um, That's actually typical of the Peruvian shamanic um, opening of sacred space. So it is is specific to the despacho, but it's not necessary, actually, Um, I guess. What I was using was Florida water. So it's actually a cologne, but it does have a lot of alcohol. And when I call in the directions or the spirits of each direction or quadrant, um, I'm rattling them in, I'm singing to them or uh, talking to them and giving them my voice, and then I spit the Florida water uh, at the direction to feed them and to also, like, 
kind of uh, ask them to come in, sweeten it up, asking them to come in, feeding them my breath, and also entice them. You're them. enticing them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Enticing and and them. so, what That's what kind of water did you say it was? Uh, Florida water, but it's not a water really. It's a cologne. Um, you can okay. you know, Florida water is used, I think, in voodoo and in a lot of different traditions. In the Peruvian tradition, they use the yellow Florida water. Uh, all the other traditions that I've seen use Florida water use the blue Florida water. Uh, and it's blue because, from how I was told, um, there's an added bittering agent into the blue Florida water so that the kids won't drink it because it's, it's not sweet. Um, but in the Peruvian tradition, because you have to spit the Florida water so often, <laughs> you use the one that doesn't have the added bittering agent. doesn't make I it see. that much easier, but a little bit easier. And and forgive me for asking you again, but are you saying Florida like the state, Florida? Yeah, 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 Florida oh. like the state. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, yeah. just making sure I, I understood. Um, <clears throat> okay, so all different kinds of uh, ingredients uh, go into this. And now, mm. when you when you arranged it, do you think it affects the outcome of your spell where you actually put the items, um, you know, in your bundle, or does it just count that you put it in the bundle? You know, I think it. I think it's it's important to be very like purposeful. Um, with that being said, I'm also a big proponent of not necessarily going off a recipe, but in that, you can't just sort of throw the ingredients in there. You want to endeavor in a creative um, fashion with this magic so it becomes an artistic expression of what you're creating. Um, and a lot of times I just let the ingredients sort of tell me where they want to go um, okay. just by way of what feels right. Um, so there are purposes for where you would put things, but I've also found, like, in other magic, if you're not necessarily sure of what the purpose is of where, as long as you are completely interacting with it, with your spirit and with your creation or creativity, uh, it works out pretty well. Okay. And I think I interrupt you before you actually got to mentioning many of the ingredients and why. Right. You want to maybe just um, rattle off a few and uh, yeah. explain what uh, yeah. they might be for? Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So there's like a seashell that you would put in the, in the, in the middle that would be represented, represent, representative of the mother of the waters. Um, I use sugar, and uh, many use sugar at the beginning to make a cross in the in the middle of the paper, and that represents the southern cross and the four quadrants. But again, because I'm trained in other cosmologies, I also see it kind of as a crossroads, yeah. Um, but the southern cross is really important to the Peruvian tradition because they're in the southern hemisphere, and they're like are in the northern hemisphere. Our north star is Polaris, right? The north star, and the southern, their northernmost. Point, I believe is the Southern Cross. Uh, and the way that I've heard it was that because they have the Southern Cross as their northernmost point, uh, it is indicative of their cosmology to be focused on community and togetherness. Whereas in the Northern Hemisphere, with the Polaris being your nor- nor- northernmost spot, uh, individuality sort of reigns. Um, so hmm. it's very imp- the Southern Cross is very important um, for the Peruvian. Well. You know, uh, f- forgive me for kind of going off left field, but isn't that sort of indicative of the politics? I mean, it's the people, the indigenous people down in South America who are fighting for Mother Earth, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. people in, you know, the United States, this capitalist country that it's sort of survival of the fittest, you know. Right. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. you know, all about me, me, me. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, <Exactly>. okay. <laughs> um, I, I also, uh, when you're in Peru, you can get these little like candy people uh, that you would put in the in the seashell in the in the middle of this despacho. I tend to use like vitamin C people. And, you know, you can buy those vitamins that are like gummies for and they have little people. Um, I like to use those because they're like with uh, vitamins, so you're making you strong. But also, then you represent um, people, the two people in the shell representing the masculine and the feminine, bringing uh, together the opposites and balance, balancing them. Uh, I like to use carnations, and uh, from what I've heard, uh, most of the Peruvians use carnations. It, they're just very receptive to receiving your prayers through your breath. So you put a lot of carnations into the despacho. Um, I think that might have something to do with the burning as well, but also just because they're such fabulous receptacles of, I don't know if that's a word, of prayers, um, and they're beautiful. Uh, Rice is fertility. Lima beans are places of power. Popcorn is liquid light. I love that, liquid light. Um, Lima beans, did I already say that? Yeah, I already said that. Garbanzo beans are uh, the plant people. Quinoa is the life force. Um, raisins are the ancestors, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> wow. And then uh, figs are the ancestors in the mountains, uh, the first people. Uh, tobacco is for the spirits. Animal crackers represents the animal kingdom. Um, I love using alphabet soup, um, the little alphabet uh, soup. Well, I don't know how you call those, those little pieces of uh, macaroni type things, but they're little al- uh, alphabets. Um, uh-huh. Letters that are great for the language and wisdom. Um, uh, let's see, M and M's for uh, sweetness to all of our relations. I like to put candy in. The spirits seem to really like a lot of candy um, and dark chocolate for love. Um, so yeah, just everything has a meaning. <laughs> right, but I've also right. found that if I don't have my, again, I can't stress this enough, if I don't have my you know, list of meanings in front of me, I like to intuit it as I'm creating so that I'm really in the moment of the prayer and of the creation with the despacho with the spirit. Okay, okay. So um, now uh, I remember I think there were like four maybe different types of despacho, and we did a blossoming one, and you sort of already explained that. Um, would, mm-hmm. would, you know, to sort of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, blossom and grow into what you would like to see happen in your life? Um, right. But what what um, what were the other types? Um, so there's actually 200 to 250 different recipes for despachos. With that oh. being said, you can categorize those into four basic categories. Um, the first is Aini. Um, and Aini is a Quechua word um, that means reciprocity. So it's like the divine balance of both giving and receiving, um, but like being in true balance with that act. Um, being able to give and receive from the earth and from the spirits and from yourself. So uh, most, as as I've been taught, most illness and most problems come with being out of Aini in your relation. So you would do an Aini despacho in order to bring back that balance into your life and into your environment. Um, the Venta despacho is a business despacho. Uh, an Aya despacho is used for death. Uh, a cootie despacho is a, <laughs> it's sort of a, a turning back or shielding. It's sort of, cootie despachos tend to be darker um, despachos for protection, but also you could use a cootie despacho if you were going to do bad magic. 
Uh, so those are the four basic types of despachos. But again, there's you know somewhere along the lines of 250 different recipes for those four different types. So now, um, in those two circumstances that I mentioned earlier, you know, finding out the disposition of the Sekhmet statue and mm-hmm. looking for Lydia Rule's lost banners, which mm-hmm. type of despacho would they have maybe used? Um, you know, I have no idea, but I'm going to assume uh, an I need despacho, um, just because you can use an I need despacho and like starting at that base point and then you can create your intention or your need uh, to bring balance, to bring justice, to bring truth, you know, to bring light uh, to the situation that would be totally applicable. Um, I I don't know if they would have used a cootie despacho, but I suppose you could have used the cootie despacho as well. Um, And which one was that again? The The, cootie is the turning back or shielding. It's sort of a uh, attempts to be a uh, a cootie. I think means like get out. Um, so it's like be sort of synonymous with like a black candle, like sort of uh, to ward off. In, yeah, to focusing in sort of like um, the darker energy uh, or heavier it's energy. It's kind of, of like a not not really a binding though. No, mm-mm. not okay. unless you do it that way. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> And, okay. and again, I, I don't suggest it. But I, I also want to, can I just say one little point? If you are to engage in a cootie despacho, it is um, very beneficial and recommended that you follow immediately with an INE despacho to bring balance into the situation once you've warded off, protected, or otherwise dealt with the right. bad energy. So we uh, we took a long time in that class uh, to put all mm-hmm. of these wonderful ingredients in. And then once we put the ingredients in, what happened next? Um, well, we put all the ingredients in. We fold it up like a present to the universe. Um, and then I clean off your bodies uh, with the, the cootie, or not the cootie, with the despacho. So it, you end up rubbing the despacho on all the participants' bodies so that it uh, blesses them and also clears off any heavy energy or blockages they might be holding on to that is directly working against the intent, right? Um, and then we take it out to the fire. There's a couple different ways to get rid of a despacho. I prefer fire. I don't know why necessarily, but you could also you could also bury it. You can take it out to the earth and bury it, and uh, it will disintegrate slower. The magic will sort of have a slow release, whereas when you put it in the fire, it has a a quick release. Okay. Um, I've also okay. heard of putting it in a lake or a waterfall. Um, I haven't been able to really wrap my mind around doing that just because it seems sort of like littering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you can imagine the fish may eat some things they shouldn't eat, and, you know, right, that could be right. that could be bad, you know. Um, yeah, that wouldn't yeah. be such a good idea. Well, and now I remember you also also had us turn our back to the fire because you said you're not supposed to watch the gods eat. Yeah. Um, there's a couple different traditions, um, and the way that I was taught, there's some traditions that say you can totally watch the fire, and that's fine. Um, and then there's other traditions that say you can't look at the fire once the despacho has been put in because it is impolite and improper to watch the gods eat. Um, I think it's fun, and it's sort of, subconsciously engages everybody in the totality of the spell to like have put that much energy into it, that much working that much, you know, together as a community, as a group, putting all this magic together. Now you have to turn around and you can't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) 
it was hard. It was really hard yeah. to turn your back on it like that. But 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 you know, Gina, I was thinking about it. Gianna, I was thinking about it that maybe you know how when you're supposed to release a spell and you just you're mm-hmm. supposed to just let it go. Maybe do you think it, yeah. that could be anything um, similar? You know, you're turning it your back be, yeah. on it to. It, maybe that's a release, you know, because you yeah. uh, aren't holding on to it. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, quite the Not same when, yeah. when you t- when you turn your back. Hmm. Yeah, like uh, I know sometimes I have watched the fire, and I tend to like sort of fixate on the different colors of the flames, or like maybe even fire scrying. And I guess yeah, that kind of does sort of keep your attention with the spell and keeps you away from uh, forgetting about it. So, yeah, that's definitely a possibility for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I I lost my train of thought now. What was I going to ask you? (laughs) Um, uh, Duh, go on. Um, So now, um, uh, oh, um, oh, wait, it was there. Um, I I can say something. Sure, go ahead. Maybe I'll remember. Okay. So, like I was saying, uh, the Peruvian shamanic cosmology that I'm trained in is of the Caro people. And the Caro people actually are pre-Incan. And the the Peruvians thought they were gone um, up until like 60 or 70 years ago, the way I've heard it. Because when the conquerors came in, the Caro went up into the mountains uh, where they knew the conquerors would not be able to follow because the altitude is so high. Even in, uh, what was it? I forget where I landed in Peru, right on the tip of my tongue, but it's like 11,000 feet above uh, sea level just when you just land in Peru before you go into the mountains. So the Caro went up into the mountains and kept their traditional practices uh, intact. And then there was something that they saw that foretold the prophecy was going to be coming true, and they needed to descend from the mountains to spread the teachings of the Caro so that the teachings would continue into our society at this this day and time, yeah. Um, so, uh, a little interesting story about the Caro, and they 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 spoke Quechua. They had, um, which is a language that hadn't been used in Peru except for by the Caro. So, uh, despacho in uh, Quechua is Hiwarikui. Not that you'll ever necessarily use that, but in case you wanted to know. <laughs> and, and what does that mean exactly? I, I it means the, an offering to reach the earth. So um, do the Caro, um, and and are we saying it like K-A-R-O or something like that, Caro? Um, Yeah, it's a spoken language, so it doesn't really matter how you spell things, but the way I've seen Caro spelled is Q-E-R-O. Okay, okay. Um, Are they in any way related to the people who um, created Machu Picchu? I have no idea. That's not something I know. <laughs> okay, okay. So how did you, you know, how did you get involved with this? How did you find these people? Right. Um, well, I had, you know, in my magical journey early on, I'd always sort of romanticized this idea of working with a shaman. I think it was uh, probably when I took anthropology of witchcraft, witchcraft, um, witchcraft and religion. Anyway, um so you have, I had this sort of romanticized idea of like, oh, I wish I could work with a shaman. That would be amazing. But like, how do you find a shaman? <laughs> you don't. Right, a real one anyway. You don't really, right? Uh, so I was working at this really conservative desk job, like I want to say seven, eight years ago. 
and this girl that I was working with, um, we got to talking and realized that we were both very spiritual and psychic and all that stuff. And she mentioned this shamanic teacher that she had worked with. Um, and I kind of heard a ding in my head. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and then I think like a week later, she mentioned the shamanic teacher again. And I, I again heard the ding. So I was like, oh, you need to give me her phone number because I think I'm supposed to call her. And she's like, okay. So I went to bed or I went home that night full well intending to call her the next day. Now, I'm a Gemini, so a lot of times I have really great intentions that I don't necessarily follow through with. So I had a dream that night. Uh, And in the dream, the shamanic teacher came to me and said, yes, you have to call me. Why do you think you had this job? (laughs) You're supposed to meet this woman and you need to call me. So I called her the next day and I met with her for coffee or tea, and she told me about her shamanic workshop series. Um, Her name is Esther Jenkins, and she is um, situated in Glendora. She runs the School for the Shamanic Arts. So when I went and met her, um, we sort of clicked and had this energy. So I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm supposed to do this. And I started working with her, and uh, after about a year of studying the cosmology with her, um, I made a way to get to Peru. I, I don't know, I got an email and I ended up going to Peru the first time to the Sacred Valley, so that's southern Peru, um, which is much different than uh, northern Peru, which is like the Amazon jungle. Um, And so when I came back from my first trip to Peru, uh, she invited me to be her apprentice, and I was able to apprentice with her uh, and continue uh, learning the cosmology from her. And then I went back to Peru uh, to the Amazon area to work with ayahuasca, because that's also a part of the Peruvian cosmology. So mm-hmm. um, that's sort of how I got in, and also it just sort of resonated. It was like, you know, my, my altar is made of rocks, and for some reason that is really, I really like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so now before this, uh, were, would you describe, describe yourself as a Wiccan, or what were you before this became, you know, sort of central to your um your your personal cosmology. Yeah, um, before that, I had practiced Wicca. Um, I think I had been doing Wicca for like five years before I hit on or got involved with uh, Peruvian sh- shamanism. So I called myself a, a witch or a Wiccan. Um, and I think at that point, right before I met her, I'd actually just had a high priestessing ceremony with my high priestess. Uh, where she did this initiation for me to become a high priestess as well. So it was like I was at the height of this, like, ah, with my Wiccan travels, and then I met this uh, Peruvian shamanic practitioner, and she's like, yes, you can come study with me. And then I was, like, at, you know, ground zero again, which was right, uh, right. interesting. Well, you know, when the, student, <laughs> when the student's ready. Um, right, so, yeah. so tell me about... Um, uh, the pantheon that despachos originate from is is that something we should know about? Um, I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, when I when I learned about Peruvian shamanism, I mostly focused in on like the archetypes. So they work with um, the condor, which they call Apuchin, um, and it's the great spirit bird. And it's the sort of the messenger of the upper world and the ability to see clearly, seeing the big picture without attachment. And then you work with Amaru, the great serpent, who can take you into the underworld and help you to shed your old stories and your old skin. Uh, they have Otorongo, which is the great jaguar, who helps you stalk the energy patterns. Because usually our traumas in our life resonate at the same energy frequency. So if you, you utilize Otorongo, you can get to the root of an energy pattern and sort of work with it there. 
they bring in Chokachin Chai, which is a rainbow jaguar, uh, which is sort of like the rainbow bridge. But I also, when I call to Chokachin Chai, I kind of imagine this rainbow bridge going up my spine, connecting, you know, underworld, middle world, upper world. And at the same time, I see a rainbow bridge going between the two hemispheres of my brain, bringing in the, the you know, the singularity and then the oneness and all connect, connectivity. Um, Very work interesting. With, yeah, uh, Siwa Kente, which means royal hummingbird. And uh, Siwa Kente is that sort of reminder that magic is always happening, that... Um, you know, the hummingbird can fly upwards, downwards, leftwards, rightwards. It can it can just not even move while flying. Uh, and it it's, and it suckles from the sweetness of life. It suckles from uh, the sugar of flowers, and then it's able to go across oceans. So that reminder of being able to suckle from the sweetness of life and that magic is always happening. Um, and it's such a tenacious, uh, and uh, it can be a, 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 a powerful little warrior bird, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and uh, Pachamama or Mama Pacha is Mother Earth, and Inti Taita is Father Sun, Mama Kia is Mother Moon. Uh, there are different goddess, goddesses and gods within the pantheon of Peruvian cosmology, but I'm not actually familiar with them at all. I've only ever worked with the archetypes of the region uh, okay. within my... Yeah, so it's very interesting. I've had people ask me that before, and so I went and looked it up on the Internet and found some stuff. <laughs> but I was okay. like, you don't really resonate with, with those gods. I resonate with the archetypes. Right, right, right. I see what yeah. you're saying. And uh, did you have difficulty integrating the Peruvian shamanism with witchcraft? I mean, do they sort of um, work well together? Yeah, they work very well together, actually. I had no difficulty at all. When I first started... Um, the classes in uh, Peruvian shamanism, I went in and I was like, you know, everybody introduces themselves and I'm like, I'm a witch. (laughs) I've studied Wicca and I do, you know, witchcraft. And and, like nobody else really had that background when I first was uh, starting. And I found that like a lot of the things that the teacher was teaching us about, you know, even calling in the four directions or the four quadrants and how, you know, in the east is Apuchin, the great spirit bird, and that works really well with the Wiccan. In the east is the air and the winds, and I was like, this works out for it. Like, this is very similar. I can very easily, like, coalesce the two of these together into mm-hmm. one working cosmology. So I found that my background in Wicca helped me to just easily um, accept and identify with what I was learning because it, it seemed very similar. Um, different, you know, different names and titles and but ultimately, very, very similar. Right. Well, I mean, it seemed that way to me, uh, too, as well, yeah. at least on the surface anyway, you know, not, um, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the class. Um, mm-hmm. Now, um, were, are there any uh, sort of sticky areas, though, where it, it gets a little, you know, it gets a little complicated or it's pretty smooth sailing? Well, you know, I guess there would be sticky areas, right? Like if I go to a um, witchcraft ritual, um, sometimes I'll bring my mesa, um, and other times I want my mesa is like my Peruvian altar that you bundle up. It sort of looks like a medicine bundle. Um, you bundle up and carry with you, and it's got all the all the rocks that I use for my magic. Um, so sometimes I'll bring that with me. Other times I won't. Um, and sometimes when I'm, you know, going to shamanic stuff, 
I do find myself, um, I kind of bring in a, you know, a, a witchy flair. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of, I make a joke often where like when I go around witches, they call me the shaman. And when I go around shamans, they call me the witch. <laughs> and I'm like, well, where do I fit in? I don't know. I'm both. Uh, and when I you actually, when I teach, I know, right? I'm like, is it just because I like to be an other or like, what's happening here? <laughs> you have a foot in both worlds. That's all. Right, exactly. Um, well, now you uh, you were you were saying in the information you sent me that uh, soul retrieval is uh, also mm-hmm. something you can do with despacho. Tell us about that, but start off uh, by explaining soul retrieval. Yeah, um, something that I really, really in- enjoyed and I think what really called me into the Peruvian practice was this idea of soul retrieval because there was nothing that I had found similar to it in Wicca. Um, and having always been very concerned with healing, I always wanted to be a healer. Um, I found that soul retrieval was like a perfect practice for me. Like this, this really encompasses a healing transformation. So in the Peruvian belief system, everybody is born into the world with their energy body. You can call it your aura. You can call it you know, your energy body. You can call it your soul, whatever you want to call it. Every, you know, everybody knows what that means. It's your energy, you know, who you are. And with every traumatic experience that you have, a piece of your energy body sort of breaks off and is connected to that trauma um, so that whenever something in your day-to-day life happens that triggers that trauma, you immediately source from that soul piece that's still sort of stuck in that place. Now, um, there is some disagreement as to what the soul piece is doing when it's stuck in that place. Is it continually reliving the trauma, or is it hiding from the trauma, or is it mad at the trauma? Um, I don't really know necessarily. What I find usually is that soul pieces are sort of just stuck in a place of fear and hiding, and then um, when you're able to reclaim the soul piece, you're able to sort of rewrite that history. You're able to uh, reclaim the piece that was stuck there and tell it, you know, you're not stuck here anymore. You can come back. You know, we've learned so much from this. Um, and when you are able to get your little soul pieces back, because, you know, we have trauma all the time, right? <laughs> We're always having trauma. And we never really know how to fix it. So when you're getting your trauma pieces back, um, I find that people, and myself included, tend to be really raw and emotional for about two weeks to a month, as it seems that the piece that was stuck there was not able to fully um, work through their emotional response to the trauma. And so when you reclaim the soul part back into current day and time, uh, suddenly that piece really needs to process that emotion. And so the person is really raw and processing as it reintegrates itself into your soul. So that's what soul retrieval is. Does that make sense? Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, it's almost a kind of a a, a psychology, a counseling yes. in a way. Yes, yes. You know, so. would, um, does that worry like you a little bit? Like, I mean, is it, I mean, is that kind it? of dangerous to do for people, you know? I mean, because you never know what you're going to open up. Right. Um, no, I, it doesn't worry me. I don't know if that means I'm stupid or brave. <laughs> uh, but I I do feel like, I know when I was younger and I went to therapy and I know sort of like working on things when you go to therapy, what you're working through. And ultimately, I believe you just want to be able to disconnect this sort of emotional response from things that happened in your life so they no longer control you, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like soul retrieval is the the magic that helps that actually happen. 
So I kind of like to refer to soul retrieval as like therapy with magic because we're going back to all those things that you probably did rehash with your therapist. But this time, we're not going to leave that piece there and say like, hey, we're, you know, we're sorry that happened or we're working through, we're going to say, no, no, you're stuck there. We're bringing you back. And it brings the person who's giving the soul retrieval into sort of an empowered state of being able to like say, no, this is my, my soul piece. I'm reclaiming it, you know. Um, and I've been doing this for years, and, you know, sometimes I do come upon some scary stuff, but ultimately I have faith in the spirits that I call in to work with me and uh, faith in myself, I guess, um, as I'm guiding the person into their subconscious or into the underworld because they're basically the same thing, um, to find those traumatic experiences and reclaim the soul pieces. Um, I haven't had any problem, knock on wood. <laughs> So it doesn't worry so me. Is, so is I, it at all like, um, I mean, is it at all like a past life regression when you're working with someone or um, is it, it, it is. Well, because I'm thinking, Sometimes. you know, the the dark goddess stuff, you know, um, sometimes, I mean, that's what we do this time of the year. You know, look at the mm-hmm. dark goddess energy, the the mm-hmm. jealousy, the shame, the guilt, you know, whatever that is. Um, do I, I guess what I'm where I'm going with this is do people always recognize what their shit is, you know? I mean, maybe they're not happy, but maybe they haven't faced, that, um, you know, maybe they're not a nice person, maybe they're selfish, maybe they're uh, resentful of other people's success or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, can you do a soul mm-hmm. retrieval with somebody who really hasn't done much self-reflection? Um, yeah, actually. Um, <laughs> you can and you can't. depends on how open. Uh, no, I take that back. I've been able to do soul retrieval on everybody, even the people who seemed um, really resistant energetically, though consciously totally open to it. Um, and I find that, yeah, people have, have their shadow, they have their shit that they're not self-aware of. Um, and that's sort of my job because I'm taking them into the underworld, so I'm taking them deep into their subconscious where they're at a place that is very, it's almost like a dream-like space. It's very magical. Um, a guided meditation or a guided uh, journey, I guess, you could if you were to apply different terms to it. But from what I've found is it's my job to recognize what I'm seeing. If intuitively when I meet a person who comes in for counseling and or comes in for soul retrieval and I see that they've got their own shit that they're not aware of, then we get to that too. Most times, though, people's shit is at the root of what's at their shit is a trauma that they haven't been able to process. Okay. So okay, when we like maybe, the maybe they were molested that, or uh, uh, something yeah, like sometimes that. sometimes that. Um, sometimes, you know, your parents didn't pay any attention to you, and so you didn't feel seen. You know, things like whatever is the trauma that's early on. And, like, it doesn't have to be something that's really bad. I know that when I first went in for my soul retrieval with my teacher, the first one I was, like, really nervous, like, oh, there's going to be repressed memories. I'm so scared, you know. And then I get in there, and it's, like, the biggest soul piece that needed to be retrieved was a spanking I got when I was five. And I was like, I knew that. I remembered that. That was not, like, that's not uh, oppressed at all. Like, I, I didn't suppress that memory. I remember that very clearly. Uh, but I didn't realize how much trauma I actually had from that moment. So huh. we're sort of reclaiming that piece and having this revelation of, like, oh, sometimes it's just little stuff that we're just so used to um, in our lives that we don't even realize that that's trauma. And so I sort of, I have faith that the spirits will guide me. I call in 
all the spirits to take me to where I need to go for my client's uh, particular needs on that day, and they tend to take it. But the spirits do direct us directly to the memories that need to be worked through. So let's so let's go to that spanking, okay? Um, mm-hmm. How okay. did how did that pop up? I mean, was it something that just sort of popped into your head, or was it mm-hmm. something the person who was guiding you it popped into their head that you knew you right. had to um, examine that? Um, so the way that it happened, she took me into, in, I, I, and I have to disclaimer, I'm a very heady person so it took me a really long time to just allow my intuition to rule instead Mm -hmm. of uh, overthinking everything which is uh if you're working with a client that's really really heady sometimes it can be very difficult to get them into the vision of what they're seeing and the memories to pop up but so we were following one memory it was this memory when I was five at this old house where my parents um had a fight and I think my father was talking to me and I was sitting on the counter of the kitchen and we worked through that, and then I, the, my, in my memory, so the, sh- the shaman who was working on me didn't see it, in my memory I immediately went to this spanking. Uh, and the spanking was, it, it's this whole traumatic experience where, like, I almost got hit by a car because I was five and I was crossing the street with a balloon. I was so excited that I didn't wait for it to stay cross. I was just, like, trying to get to the other side of the street, show my parents the balloon. So they watched me almost get killed, and they freaked out, and so then I got spanked all the way home. Um, (laughs) um, so when I went into that memory of being spanked and I was like oh it's the spanking I know this but then suddenly the tears like they were guttural they came out of like the depths of my stomach as my stomach started rolling these tears and it's like we just tapped into it and like I thought of this memory tons of times and it never I never had a response to it Uh, but when we were in that space and the memory came into my head it suddenly was unlocked and unleashed for me to actually be able to emotionally process what was going on. Um, Interesting. Because I'm not, you know, I wasn't completely innocent. I was a five-year-old who did something stupid, you know, and my parents were terrified. And and at the same time, I was a five-year-old. I I couldn't emotionally process being spanked all the way home. So it was Um, traumatic. Interestingly, yes, it was traumatic. And when I went into the memory of the spanking, uh, the shaman kept trying to say, what do you see? And all I saw was this blackness. Um, and that is actually one of the sort of telltale signs of soul loss is when you go into a memory and you can't see it uh, because everything is black, that means you, your soul has just sort of left your body. Like it just really couldn't process. So it was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> wow. I'll come back when that's over. <laughs> um, so I would imagine you probably have to do soul retrieval one-on-one. You probably can't do that with a group, huh? I've never done it with a group. I I, yeah. I imagine that it's possible, <laughs> but I don't know how. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I want to switch gears uh, before we run out of time here and ask you a little bit. You mentioned the uh, the ayahuasca. Um, it, is that something, I, I mean, like if someone wanted to experience that, um, would mm-hmm. you recommend it for someone who, you know, has, I, I mean, to a newbie? You know, or should it, uh, or does it depend on who they're working with? I mean, um, if someone, say, for instance, wanted to have some sort of um, sacred, um, what would you say, sort of sacred communion with the with deity, would you Mm. would you say that's a way, a good way to go? Your, you know, your first rodeo. Well, this is what I've found. Ayahuasca chooses you. (laughs) You don't get to choose. So, you know, there's people who are like, I want to do ayahuasca. And then they'll never have the ability to get it done. Like, 
something will always get in the way and they can't get there. Um, would I suggest it to a newbie who's never even heard of it? No. Like, first of all, it's illegal in the United States. So, like, you have to go to Peru. So, monetarily, that's already sort of an issue, yeah. Um, but also, if the ayahuasca spirit calls to you, she will make a way to get you there. And then, yes, I'm all for it. Ayahuasca is a tremendous healing um, plant and power. Um, whenever I have worked with her, she is definitely a she. Um, she comes through as either a serpent or a jaguar. Most of the time for me, she comes through as a serpent, and she is like accelerated soul retrieval. <laughs> She's, she takes you right into the underworld and makes you deal with, deal with your shit, uh, makes you deal with things that you've been hiding really, really deep. Um, it's not fun. It's not like some people are like, yeah, I want to do ayahuasca. Like it's a recreational drug. And I'm like, no, I don't think you, I don't think you understand. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know, when I've heard that it, that it makes you violently ill, I mean, does that happen with everyone or just? Um, well, you don't necessarily puke every time. <laughs> I wouldn't say violently ill. I would say it's a purgative. Um, so, but you also have to adhere to a very strict diet for two weeks before you do it. You know, you can't have sex or masturbate um, because you have to store up that energy for her. And you can't eat meats and you can't have alcohol and you can't have spices and you can't, like, it's very, like, it's not for somebody who's like, oh, you know, yeah, it's unfun. Like, it's a commitment. It's she, Yeah, you're not taking, you're not doing this lightly. attention. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, well, you know, um, someone you, told me recently right. that people are growing ayahuasca in Hawaii. And mm. that you and and that you are able to get it here if you know the right people, and you mm. know I it just you know I, I mean it's it's like bad marijuana you know my husband always talks about oh the marijuana today it's crap you know compared to the marijuana of the sixties you know I guess <laughs> I just wondered how do you know even if you know how do you vet these people how do you know if you're getting a real shaman or you're getting you know good ayahuasca. <laughs> Mm. I, I, I would you know, say I, I, I'm a strong proponent of you trust your intuition, you trust your gut, you take full responsibility of what you plan on endeavoring in, and you make sure that you're very clear with your motivations. If you just want to, like, if I mean, even if you're going to get healed, but you don't put in the time and effort to be familiar with, one, the cosmology, or two, the spirit itself, because you can talk to the spirit before actually working with the spirit, yeah? Um that's going to dictate your experience. You know, it's it's you have to really have strong intuition and strong like, or you go to people who you trust and ask them who they would suggest. Right, um, right. Well, that makes sense. Well, I know um, that. Can I, can I say one more thing about ayahuasca? Sure, yeah. I do know that the ayahuasca has kind of gotten a lot of bad press lately because it does take you into an altered state of consciousness um, that you can actually achieve through drums as well. Um, but I would like to just state, you know, she is a spirit. She is, a, I, I would say she's the deity of the Amazon jungle, and she works to help you heal. She's a she's a dark mother. She's a, a tough love mother. She's going to make you do your shit. She's very, very serious. Um, and with that being said, also, the bad press, uh, there have been some deaths that have occurred. You're not allowed to be on any sort of psychotropic. I think, what is it, what's it called when you're on... Um, Meds I think that's uh, mood-altering mood altering mood, medication. Mood-altering, yeah. yeah. You, you cannot be on mood-altering medication at all because 
ayahuasca, uh, the vine that is used is an IMA, IMAO inhibitor, and it allows for the uptake of the DMT within the other plants that are uh, included in the brew. But this has horrific effects if you're on uh, a mood-altering uh, prescription. So you cannot be on those as well. Um, so there's a lot, you, you know, you really have to do your research. And there's a lot on the Internet to find out about the diet that's required. Um, yeah, there's, so there's, there's a lot. You, you know what? <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, Gianna, you are the only one who has ever said all of that to me. Most ever, most other people have not said anything about, you know, ayahuasca being, a, you know, a, an energy, a goddess, or the diet, or anything like that before. Um, mm-hmm. I think m- most of the people I've talked to have really taken it way too casually. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're getting to the top of the hour. Um, is there right. anything um, anything we haven't talked about that uh, you want to make sure listeners know before we say goodnight? Um, I, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think okay. we covered a lot. Yeah, I hope we that did. they enjoyed it. And uh, if they're interested in looking into uh, Peruvian shamanism more, I teach over the green man. And my teacher teaches in Glendora. Again, her name is Esther Jenkins, uh, School for the Shamanic Arts. So, okay. Look, um, if you're in, in your, and look. <laughs> and, yeah. and you have a website. Uh, uh, I do. G, and let me, I'll spell that, G-I-A-N-A-C-I-C-C-H-E-L-L-I, Gianna yeah. Cicelli. It, did, I, did I pronounce that right? It's uh, dot com. Okay. yeah. Okay. Well, Gianna, yeah. it's been fun, and uh, I yeah. look forward to uh, our working together later on in the year with that other stuff for the Joseph Campbell Roundtable we were talking about. Me too, me too. Thank you very much. It's been a delight and a pleasure to meet with you, talk to you, and be on your radio show. Well, thank you so much, uh, and uh, thank, thank you. you for your time as well. I'm sure the listeners really uh, you know, really enjoyed our conversation tonight. And uh, I can't wait to do my first, well, my, my own first despacho ritual. I haven't done it yet, <laughs> but it's, it's on my bucket list. I'm going to get to right. it really soon. <laughs> That's awesome. That's right. exciting. Let me know. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Gianna. Thank you. Uh, well, it's about that time. We are crossing the threshold into the second part of the show. And um, I have something I want to share with you uh, from Janie Resner, uh, a stirring reading called What Will It Take? Um, And also, I'm wondering, uh, we're going to get to that in a minute, but uh, remember last week I asked you how your manifestation, um, about my manifestation and gratitude experiment, and I invited you to, uh, you know, maybe join in and and do your own. Uh, I wonder how that's coming along. So if you have uh, if you have done that and you've been working with it at all, uh, email me. Let me know. Uh, I will share with you that um, I'd been doing it every day. Uh, every morning I woke up. You know, I wrote down the ten things I was grateful for. I thanked Goddess for each and every one. It set my day in a really good mindset. And the day that I didn't 
do that, and I also missed my morning walk. I have to uh, I have to admit that as well. I think uh, it was a disaster. Um, curiously, or or maybe not so curiously, maybe I could have just expected it. I had the worst day in a really long time. The worst day since we started the whole experiment. My boss was a real jerk. I let him get to me instead of just letting his crap float over my head, and. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm really not going to miss doing that gratitude, um, uh, you know, uh, say, you know that, that, that um, check-in uh, every morning because I think maybe it does even more uh, for one's frame of mind than uh, I even gave it credit for to begin with. So anyway, that's, um, that's my, my sharing for now. I'd love to hear from you too. And uh, I wonder if you saw the article in The Atlantic titled, The Secret to Smart Groups Isn't Smart People, It's Women. Yep, 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 yep. MIT scientists wrote uh, in this past Sunday's New York Times that psychologists are finding offices uh, or groups with women in it are more successful because of the social sensitivity can you believe it? Women know how to read faces. Women, women know how to read between the lines. Women read the nonverbal cues better. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't that maybe intuition? You think? Maybe? That thing that's been disregarded, disrespected in patriarchy, devalued? Well, another sign, uh, you know, maybe that's another sign we are in the evolution, that MIT scientists are realizing the value of women and women's intuition. Um, And, wow, and maybe it's a sign we are in the evolution when MIT is telling the world. They're telling the world you'd better value what women bring to the table because you need it, you know, if you want to succeed, if you want to, uh, do the best that you can do. Anyway, you can find the article by Derek Thompson posted on the website of The Atlantic. Um, and again, it's titled, The Secret to Smart Groups Isn't Smart People, It's Women. Um, also, this uh, Sunday is Fourth Sunday at the Goddess Temple. Uh, I will be there. And uh, if you're interested um, in meeting me or coming to the temple uh, for the first time, or maybe it's not your first time, I'll be there. So I hope to see you. Uh, please uh, say hello. You know, I'm always busy chatting with someone, but don't be shy about uh, stepping up and introducing yourself. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to um, have a moment with you. So um, I owe Joe Carson uh, a commercial here. So um, here we go. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming. And it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding. The core finding that the pineal gland makes the hallucinogen. We all hallucinate. We all go into a state of consciousness that, for me, is the collective unconscious. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes, from the past right around the world, have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness, which is the dream mind that symbolic, archetypal, 
exemplified by fairy tales or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. Well, uh, that was a little excerpt uh, from Joe Carson's uh, wonderful DVD, uh, Dancing with Gaia. And uh, I want to help uh, thank uh, Joe for uh, running these commercials on the show to uh, help me defray the costs of airtime. Um, Dancing with Gaia is a wonderful documentary. It also comes with a little mini book uh, that helps one connect with the earth energies. It's about uh, sacred sexuality. It's about restoring uh, the sacredness of nature. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, mini book and DVD that uh, I truly believe, and not just because Joe does commercials here, but I've seen it, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it is beautiful. It is informative. There's lots of good stuff in it, whether you're new to this or not. Uh, I think it belongs in all of our libraries. It would be a great uh, you know, piece um, a, a great uh, DVD to use on a movie night uh, for a group, uh, maybe have a discussion group, um, you know, maybe tap into some new ways to connect uh, with Earth energy. Anyway, I always like to know how other people are doing things, and uh, I found it really informative. So anyway, that's uh, dancingwithgaia.com, um, and it's, uh, you know, the DVD by Joe Carson, uh, Dancing with uh, Gaia, and um, if uh, if if you uh, enjoy the show and uh, you want to uh, show your support, uh, there are so many of you out there. If uh, a number of you just got together and sent in a little, you know, it adds up to a lot, and it would be great to have the rest of the year's airtime paid for in advance so I don't have to worry about it every month. Uh, if you'd like to help with that, uh, please go to my webpage, uh, karentate.com. And once you're there, go to the Goddess Store page and scroll down past the books, uh, past some of the other um, Goddess uh, postcards of sacred sites, uh, and go down to the bottom, and you can use some of the PayPal buttons. And if you don't find a PayPal button um, suggesting the amount you had in mind, the very last one on the page will allow you to put in a donation of any amount. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart if you actually go there and do that. Okay, so Janie Resner's piece on what will it called "What Will It Take?" Um, Janie Resner, uh, she's been here on the show. Uh, I have been on her radio show as well. Uh, she is a social justice activist, a feminist, an artist, a musician. As I said, a radio show host. Well, she was moved by an incident in Saudi Arabia which uh, I guess um, you know encouraged her, motivated her to post her writing. Uh, it's, it's a little poem uh, called What Will It Take? But I think it would be appropriate for most things going on today, not just this thing in Saudi Arabia uh, where this woman was beheaded that, um, you know, that was heartbreaking for Janie uh, because there's so many atrocities going on in countries where women, um, you know, have to have male escorts to leave home. Um, you know, even here in the United States, you know, as Republicans blur the line between the separation of church and state and um, you know they are going to try now to take away women's constitutional right to their own bodies 
uh, and get a law passed to outlaw abortions after 20 weeks. Or uh, when they don't care about raising the minimum wage, which disproportionately affects women. I mean, 70% of women retire in poverty. You know, when they want to try to privatize Social Security and, you know, your nest egg, uh, I mean, you know, it'll be gone if the... um, if if the market crashes like it did when Bush was leaving office or, you know, when Republicans won't pass Equal Pay for Women Act. You know, women are still second-class citizens uh, to the Republican Party. They don't treat us as if we're equal to men, and I hope people see that this year as they control the Senate and the House. So anyway, listen to Janie's piece and think about oppression. Think about exploitation. Think about regression of whatever kind that gets under your skin because there's so many different types. And I wonder, do you feel like this too? So here's Janie's, uh, Janie's piece called What Will It Take? What will it take? Is there anything that will stir you from your chair, from your comfort zone? Is there anything that might suggest to you that you have a part to play in the protection of the sacred life, not only in your mind, but with your body? Will watching your own home burn in front of you do it? Will seeing your own child raped or killed in front of you do it? Will watching our precious earth and oceans and heavens being destroyed before our very eyes, above our very heads, beneath our very feet, will that wake you from your stupor, you sleepy, propagandized ones, from your ride into hell on a boat named Passivity? Passivity. You know, she might as easily have said apathy. Anyway, that uh, is Janie Resner, and uh, ah, a, a wise, a wise woman. I am so glad uh, to know her. Um, also, I want to remind you, um, if you have been on the fence about um, the sacred tour to Turkey that I have been talking about. Uh, time is ticking away. Uh, so please, if you are thinking about it, at least reach out to me and let me know that you're thinking about it. I promise I won't bug you, uh, but I just uh, we need to start counting heads. Uh, we are taking no more than 20 women and men to Anatolia, as Turkey was once called, meaning land of the nourishing mothers. Um, Turkey is a real diamond in the rough, a crossroads of cultures, a, a melting pot, which uh, is not on the euro yet, so your money spends well when you get over there. And I mentioned Dr. James Reedfeld is uh, going to be given his talk, and we're going to be doing a ritual at the Goddess Temple about Artemis. And, um, you know, there's no more brilliant a guy to go to Turkey with than uh, than James. You know, he spent the last 10 years writing Artemis of the Ephesians, her mystery, magic, and sacred landscape. Um, you know, and uh, it, I, I've sort of uh, casually dubbed the tour, uh, you know, go to Turkey with the archaeologists and the priestess. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of, uh, you know, kind of like saying, go with Karen and James, you know, the archaeologist and the priestess. And uh, you'll see Turkey like uh, uh, like you can't see it any other, uh, you know, any other way, you know. Anyway, um, 
I, I think uh, there's no better pair to travel to Turkey with than us, if I dare say so myself. Uh, besides visiting sacred sites of goddess for 16 days, doing ritual in some of her sacred places, you'll be able to do wonderful things like, you know, crawl through the underground cities of Cappadocia, get a Turkish bath, experience real whirling dervishes. And, you know, I have to tell you, they have an incredible, incredible energy. Uh, If you're interested, you can take an extension to Chateau Hayuk or Gobeki Tepki. Uh, So if you're interested or have questions, please um, make sure you ask me. All right, um, last thing I want to do tonight um, before I say goodnight is I want to just read you uh, one little excerpt. And uh, I see I have two people hanging on the switchboard. Uh, before I say goodnight, I will come and ask you if you would, uh, if you have anything you'd like to say or ask. And if you don't, that's okay. Uh, you can just say, no, I'm listening, and that's all right, too. But if you're, you're hanging there because you're waiting on me, I don't want to ignore you. Okay, uh, but uh, let me just um, close uh, with this um, excerpt from my new book, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape the World, with, which is an anthology of um, uh, many wise uh, men and women who contributed to this radio show over the years. And uh, this is the quote on back the book that I wrote. Most of us have come to realize patriarchy, rule by a male-dominated society, revering solely a male god, is not working for Mother Earth or most of the people on the planet. How do we counter bleeps that there is no option but the authoritarian father? How does society go about making a course correction? How do ideas that permeate every level of society from womb to tomb boardroom to bedroom, voting booth to the workplace, shift into a more fair, equal, and just world of partnership, sharing, caring, and peace. You know, um, I think maybe a lot of folks are afraid to make a change because they don't know uh, what we would change to. It's kind of like the abused wife who stays with the guy who beats her up because at least she knows what to expect. It's better than maybe going out into the street and not knowing uh, what you're going to replace, at least what you're familiar with. with. But uh, I think this book shows that we really do have a lot of the answers. We have a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And um, many of the essays in the book uh, take the interview we did on the show to the next level. Maybe it's updates. Maybe it's new information. Uh, Some of the contributions to the anthology are actual transcripts, about five are actual transcripts. But the rest of the book uh, is actually uh, new information to build on the interviews that are still there in the archives. So uh, I invite you to... uh, Either uh, go to my website and uh, purchase the book from me, which makes sure the money gets in my pocket, and I'm happy to sign a book um, to you personally. Uh, or if you have to, if you know uh, you have no other uh, alternative, uh, you know, go ahead and go to Amazon. And please think about Goddess Calling too. Uh, it's been called uh, Comfort Food. Um, and um, that makes me feel good. I'm really glad that uh, 
people like it that much that they would call it comfort food. Uh, that's what they say about Goddess Calling. Okay, I am going to go to uh, one of my guests on the switchboard here and see if they have uh, a question um, or a comment. Hi, uh, this is Karen. Did you have a question or a comment? Hi, you hear me? Uh huh, I can. Oh, great. Um, oh, I was going to ask her: Are, are you familiar with uh, with Mary Wollstonecraft? I'm sorry, with who? Mary Wollstonecraft. She's considered one of the first feminists in history. Mary Wollstonecraft. Um, you know, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. How do you uh, spell her last name for me, please? Wollstone. I'm not. It's it's an odd spelling. It's European. Um, her daughter was Mary Shelley, the one who wrote Frankenstein. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing that. She was, um, her daughter was Mary Shelley, yeah, and yeah. her name... Yeah, well, um, Mary Wollstonecraft. Mary Wollstonecraft. You know, I haven't yeah. heard that, but now you've piqued my curiosity. Yeah. Um, well, she's, you know, she's considered one of um, the first feminists in history. She was... Uh, uh, she was a writer of the Enlightenment period in, uh, in history. Um, uh, she's been quoted saying, Hey, look at that boy! How was your girl, you bitch? <laughs> I have no idea who that was. Obviously, they were uh, they were crazy. Uh, well, you know, that's the chance you take when you uh, open the switchboard. Uh, so anyway, I hope they had fun. And uh, it, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, crazy people, what can you say? Uh, anyway, thank you, my dear listeners, for um, for listening from week to week. And um, I, I really love hearing from you. Uh, you are gas in my tank. So... As uh, we close out the show with uh, a little bit of music here, uh, let's see. Why don't we? Uh, we'll go back to Abigail Spinner McBride, Sacred Way. <laughs> <laughs> 